This is the voice of the report of the week. Signing on. Well, hello, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone listening in to today's broadcast of VORW International. Welcome to the new podcast. Going at you this uh, Friday, the 11th of December, 2020. Hey, I hope everyone out there is hanging in there, doing okay. Here we are. Another show. Uh, today's broadcast is really just going to touch base, discuss a few uh, a few miscellaneous topics. With this portion of the show being the uh, last thing that I really record, I can tell you that we're going to be, after this part is done, we're going to be getting into some philosophical stuff, but, you know, I, I tried not to make it a downer. Uh, we're going to discuss some random topics such as uh, alternate reality games, some current events, the uh, everyone's favorite monoliths, which are already fading from the, the public eye, and uh, many other things. We're going to get to a lot of good fan mail as well, and uh, listener emails and questions and topic suggestions, and it's I think it's just going to be an enjoyable, varied show. Two uh, orders of business to tend to, first and foremost... Uh, I want to give credit where credit is due. There are three pieces of fan art uh, featured in the show today for those of you tuning in on YouTube. The first piece of fan art goes to Hazel. The second piece of fan art can be credited to user Keyi54, that's K-E-Y-I-5-4, on Reddit. And the third piece can be credited to user NandyFan on Reddit as well. If you'd like to have your fan art featured in the next program, feel free to submit it at v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. And on one other note, uh, I have decided after after some thought to um, go ahead with this. This is a way to support the show that is beneficial both, of course, to me and to you as well. If you are interested in advertising on this broadcast... Uh, I will be more than happy to give a promotion, an ad, etc. Uh, to your product, your service. It could be anything under the sun. It can be a small business, a large business. It could be promoting your YouTube channel, your music, anything, really. Um, it is at an affordable rate. And essentially the way that it works is we'll just go five shows at a time. So if you're interested, then in the next five podcasts, I will promote whatever it is you would like me to promote. And uh, then it's up to you if you'd like to keep it uh, going or not, but we would essentially just do it in intervals of five shows each. Anyway, if it's something that you are interested in, it's, again, a very affordable rate because I know that the economic situation of of a lot of us right now is is very iffy. But if it's something that at least you're interested in, you don't even need to be committed to it, but if you just want more info, uh, feel free to reach out to me at VORW. I-N-F-O at gmail.com. Again, that's V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. It'd be great to work with you. And uh, with that, as we get into the rest of the show now, uh, I was talking about ads because we do have a new sponsor for this broadcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And uh, make sure you always check out everyone who does support and sponsor this broadcast. It's their support in part that really keeps this going.
Collective Fear is a one-man electronic music project out of Boston, Massachusetts, who released their first single, Pity, on October 11th, 2020. The music evokes dark themes and moods of synth-pop, dark wave, and shoegazing while maintaining a catchy pop sensibility. Collective Fear has drawn comparisons to artists such as Cold Cave, Health, and Youth Code, and would be a great listen for any folks who enjoy electronica in general. With a variety of new releases at the ready, Collective Fear is poised to make an impact in 2021. Pity is available on all major streaming platforms, such as Spotify, SoundCloud, Bandcamp, Apple Music, Tidal, Deezer, and many more. Please feel free to give a follow on Spotify or Instagram at instagram.com slash collective underscore fear if you'd like to support the band and stay up to date on future releases. I appreciate your support and hope to connect with all of you as listeners in the future. So this discussion is... It's not supposed to be anything life-changing. It's not supposed to be anything motivational or inspirational or detrimental or anything to that extent. It's really purely insignificant. I think the best way to describe it is it's just one of those thoughts that we all get. We already know. But I think it just reaffirms an important fact of life. And sometimes it comes to us, I think, through experiences, sometimes personal, sometimes not. But it just reaffirms something that, again, we all know, we all understand, but in my opinion, it's something that can always be reinforced, most importantly. I think the problem of it all is that it's very difficult to reinforce, let alone do, at all, because it would have to be something that we would have to, you know, understand and abide by at all times. And that is the fact that life itself, I'm not just saying the things that happen in life, but life itself, and I am talking about you, is unpredictable. We never know what the future is going to hold, bad or good. And what got me thinking about this is just an insignificant occurrence that I imagine we probably see at least on a daily or weekly or maybe monthly basis, but it's something we've all witnessed, I'm certain. It was a couple nights ago, and I was up late, and, uh, Yeah, well, I wasn't, I mean, late at night, you know, it's not really late for me, but it was around 3 a.m. and I was doing some radio listening and all of that. I was just seeing what was on, you know, passing the time, etc. And in the distance, I heard this flurry of sirens, you know, lots of them, about five or so, it sounded, you know, one after the other after the other. Obviously you know, police or fire trucks or whatever reporting to some sort of emergency. 
And I took a look at the window because, you know, I hear some stuff every now and then, but certainly hearing that much activity that late, I, I always want to see if I could just kind of see what's going on. Uh, alas, I couldn't. But I couldn't, and uh, well, life went on. I kind of thought about it for a minute. Didn't see anything, didn't see any lights. Eventually the noise went away, and that was it. You know, it's... Again, it's something that we all think about late at night. We all... We all hear, you know, but it's not us. It's not happening to us. You hear it, and then the sound goes away, and life continues. Well, about an hour later, I decided to venture out on a little excursion. Got dressed, got on the road, and uh, was heading down because the way I needed to go was the same road that I heard, you know, again, about an hour earlier. All these sirens on. So I was going down it, and, you know, it was a couple miles down. But eventually, sure enough, I saw all these flashing lights, and I knew, oh, this is... This is the source of all those um, emergency vehicles going by that I heard about an hour ago. Of course, I did a little bit of rubbernecking, and what I saw all too sadly was, well, what is a common occurrence, unfortunately. And it was a single car that looked like it was probably speeding that was well off the highway. And I mean, this thing had to just go shooting down this embankment. Looked like it rolled over multiple times until it finally reached the uh, tree line, which, you know, very forcefully stopped this vehicle. But it looked like this this um, car just flew off the road at very, very high rate of speed. And I saw that there was still an ambulance there, as were about, you know, five police cars, and uh, everyone was kind of gathered around there. Later, you know, I was just checking the news out of curiosity, and I found out that it was a fatal accident, that the driver of this car was dead, you know, and obviously seeing the car as I did, it doesn't surprise me that someone died from that, you know, it, the thing obviously just careened off the road and Bam, just smashed, smashed to pieces. And it got me thinking, I highly doubt that this driver intended for that to be his last night ever on Earth. Now, yes, every case is different, but, you know, at least in 90% of these fatal accidents or probably greater than that, I'd probably say 95-97%. They are always unplanned. And assuming that this one was, this driver, you know, maybe there was alcohol involved, maybe there wasn't, but one thing is that this individual planned on probably going home, maybe getting some rest, and then going about tomorrow. There were things to do, people to see, plans to be made and tended to. And none, absolutely none of those plans, none of those goals, none of those aspirations, and none 
of anything that you did before that moment in your entire life accounted for what was going to happen on that drive. But there it was. Maybe a victim of bad luck. Maybe a victim of carelessness. Recklessness. You know? That one text to respond to. That one website you had to load on your phone. Done it a thousand times before, so... Why would this time be any different? Let's just say it's not a good thing, but let's say you use your phone all the time behind the wheel. Well, I'm still here, I'm still alive, I'm not crippled. I know what I'm doing, I can react fast enough, I'll be fine. I feel like I'm sober enough to drive. I've done it before, I think I can make it back. It's, it's not that far away, you know, it's... Just one road and then a few turns off the exit and I can do it. I haven't crashed yet. It's okay. I think sometimes we think that until that's not the case. And in some instances, well, once you realize that there's not a thing you can do about it anymore, not a thing you can do about anything anymore, the cards have been dealt. What's done is done. This is final. It's irreversible. There's nothing that that can change what happened. Nothing that can bring you back. Maybe it was all avoidable, but maybe it wasn't. And that's the saddest part of it all when you realize that. Sometimes these sorts of things happen and it's not the driver's fault. Sometimes it's not anyone's fault. It could be an unforeseen mechanical issue. Could have been some debris in the road, or an animal, or something, and the driver made that choice to swerve. And unfortunately, that choice, which I think so many of us would rationally make, well, in this instance, was fatal. It had fatal repercussions. I didn't see the accident happen, of course. I only saw the aftermath, but... Thinking about that, thinking that so many of these fatal accidents, we're not just talking anymore about the one that I saw, it's just merely an experience and something that I witnessed that brought about general thoughts and views on life, and truly how unpredictable it is. We really don't know what's going to happen going forward, we don't know how much longer we have. Chances are a lot of the folks out there who who perish in these sorts of accidents didn't have any plans, any any sorts of plans or thoughts that they would ever be gone that soon. And yes, it is stressful. It's stressful. It could it can cause anxiety. It can make one fearful. That's completely understandable. In the end, though. You can't spend your life in fear. Although sometimes I think we do end up in, in such a state, whether we like it or not. I know that's happened to me before. But I think sometimes we get caught up in this loop. Now we see, we kind of, we, we see and we, we remember that yes, indeed, life is, well, it's unpredictable. You know, you can be around for, <laughs> you who knows what's going to happen in the future? You never know. You might, there might be some advancement and you're going to be around a hundred more years. 
<laughs> Who's to say? Or today might be it. Yeah, the chances are you're going to wake up tomorrow, it's going to be another day. You're going to wake up the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next year, and the year after that, and the decade after that. The show goes on. But unfortunately, there's some folks out there where that isn't the case. Never see it coming until it does. I, I speak... I speak for everyone, myself included. You know, when I had my accident, I didn't see that coming until... There I was on the floor, looking back up at the... At the ceiling there. Without a clue what had even happened. And I think sometimes... You know, when this knowledge is brought back to us, I think sometimes we try, maybe for the best, to forget it. We try not to, because again, you could live in fear otherwise, but when you realize this, again, you realize how fragile life is. You realize that, yeah, we can just be gone in any moment, even doing the most basic of activities. Sometimes, well, these unfortunate things, they just happen. Sometimes you can do everything right and they happen to the best of us. Sometimes the most careless folks out there who people look at with perhaps disdain and think, oh, it's going to catch up to them one day. Well, it never does. And they live very, very long, fulfilling lives. And that's it. Sometimes you have the most care careful individuals out there who seem to do everything right. Wrong place, wrong time. And that's it. And that knowledge, it, it is. It is disturbing. It is disturbing. Well, is there anything I can do about it? Is there anything one can possibly do about it? Well, at the root of it, no. There really isn't, because this is simply the way the world is. And it's one of those things that just can't be changed. But... In my opinion, anyway, that doesn't mean that all hope is lost. It doesn't mean that I have to live in despair for the rest of my existence because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And then you get caught up in the dreaded what-if loop, which I am guilty of getting caught up in myself. Well, what if I go this and this happens? What if I do this and that happens? You know... You, if you really, you'll drive yourself crazy if you look at the what-ifs behind every little thing. <laughs> you know? Well, there's planes, you know, that fly overhead. What if the engine of it fails at some point and it crashes into me and I'm gone? You know, it's like you get caught up in all these irrational what-ifs. But I think if there's one thing to remember, one thing to consider... One thing that, yes, it will not solve this supposed problem, but I think it will sincerely help. And you might say, well, how can you say that? Well, it's helped me. I speak from personal experience. I can't say if it'll help you, but I just know that I've had those worries myself. I've had those what-ifs dominate my mind at times. I've had those fears eat me up had panic attacks, you know, so bad from it, I just feel like the life itself is just getting sucked out of me, you know, and it's just, 
it's it's almost an indescribable feeling, but I'm sure some of you guys, you, you get it, you understand. One thing, though, that I'll kind of tell myself, and it really, it sincerely helps, is that, yes, we can't predict the future, for better or for worse. Yeah, this is a pessimistic talk, but there's plenty of good things that can happen down the line that you'll never see coming until they do, and it could change everything in a fantastic and beautiful way in your life. That's not just the bad, but there's good as well, but... The one thing that I tell myself and remember, and it helps me, life is unpredictable, we know that. As a result, we cannot ever lose sight of the things near and dear to us in this world. Now that is, that is unique to the individual, that is unique to you. The most important things in your life are going to differ greatly from that of the next individual listening into this broadcast. So, you can't really, you can give a list of generalities, of generalizations, right? I think some of the things that, for at least a good number of us, that we might hold very important might be loved ones, might be close friends or family members. It might be your pets if you have them. It could be also some of the things that you're passionate about, be that certain hobbies or pastimes. It could be nature, it could be anything. It's, again, it's unique to you, but you alone, you know what it is. Don't lose sight of those things. Don't take them for granted ever. At least try not to. That's something that none of us are perfect at, nor will we ever be. But at least when we remember this, not only can we again think and focus, reflect, and remember these things so important, near and dear to us, that yes, we do sometimes take for granted. But at least we can have moments of clarity where we can realize just how important these are in our finite and unpredictable lives. And most importantly, Especially to the things that keep you going that, well, are living, breathing individuals. Please take a moment, every now and then. Let them know how you feel. It doesn't always need to be much. Just show your appreciation. You know, if it's your parents or your spouse or whoever, tell them that you love them. If it's friends... Every now and then, doesn't need to be in a creepy way or anything, but just let them know you're thankful of their friendship. If it's a pet, you know, give them a good treat every now and then. Let them know they're appreciated. And if it's activities or places or objects, if it's a place when you get the chance, go visit it, enjoy, enjoy some time there. Or if it's music, listen to some of your favorite songs every now and then. Or if, or if it's an activity, make sure you participate in it from time to time. Just don't take these things for granted. So in short, what I'm just trying to say is that we live in a very unpredictable world. We really don't know what's going to happen at all in our lives. We can't predict the future. What I've tried to do to the best of my abilities is take something that for many can be a great source of anxiety, of stress, 
of fear and turn it around by taking these largely negative energies, refocusing them toward the things near and dear to us that keep us going day to day. You're listening in to VORW Radio International. Now into some discussion, a little more lighthearted, a little less deep, on a couple more miscellaneous topics. So this is a little bit of an impromptu, whatever you want to call it, an impromptu recording session. Not really a broadcast, because I guess it is, but you know, when it's pre-recorded, it's kind of... I don't know, I feel like broadcast is a better word when it's going out live or something, but who knows, this is a mere a mere technicality in the grand scheme of things. Um, but there's something that's going on right now. Yes, right now, as we speak, for dramatic effect. That I just found interesting and something that, oh my goodness, I could finally comment on with at least some minor qualifications. And I don't have to sit here and, you know, act like a total idiot. Uh, it's interesting, though. It's, it's, some people call it an ARG, an alternate reality game. I call it viral marketing, but in some cases I think you have, they, they are one in the same sometimes. Uh, it was very, very fascinating to see shortwave radio, of all things, get incorporated um, with, uh, you know, with some viral marketing in this day and age of all things. I think that's actually pretty cool and pretty creative. And uh, what happened? I guess this is being done, and believe me, now this is not my specialty, it's just the shortwave radio part that is, is uh, I guess there's a new video game out, I guess a new Call of Duty game. Let me see. I think it's called Black Ops Cold War. I don't know when it was released. Um, I don't know. Let's look. I guess the initial release date for this game, Black Ops, I guess it was released in November. You know, so it's fairly new. I would say it's a pretty new game. Uh, Call of Duty, I know that's, you know, a first-person shooter video game. I know it's been very popular for a very long time at that. Uh, gosh, it's been going since 2003, which is crazy, almost 20 years now. And I've never been the biggest fan of Call of Duty. I did play, um, I think it was, let's see, which one was it? I'm just trying to figure out which series it was. I think I played Black Ops. That's the one that I, yeah, yeah, the one that took place in, like, uh, Vietnam or whatever. Yeah, Call of Duty Black Ops, that was a game from 2010, and I played it, and I thought it was enjoyable, but, you know, the first-person shooter games are just a little too much. It's merely a matter of preference, but a lot of people still like them. It's a still, I think it's still a successful series, and uh, evidently they're still going. So this new uh, Call of Duty Black Ops game, Cold War, again, I guess was released last month. And certain things, I suppose, are still getting done with it. Certain, you know, Easter eggs, I guess you call them. Uh, 
promotions, etc. And I guess there's this new viral marketing tactic that was done by the team there, which I, I find to be brilliant, uh, just in terms of how creative it is. Where and I, I'm I'm amazed that they they uh, were able to incorporate full blown uh, international broadcasting into this. Where what they did now I have no idea what what this really does. I'm not familiar with the community or the game, but. I guess there was a group of video game YouTubers, I could find about four or five. All of them have, you know, a good deal of subscribers between, you know, one and uh, four million, it looks like. And they sent them in the mail a promotional package, which uh, was very creatively uh, wrapped. You know, it looked like a, a bundle of parchment tied together. Some people said that <laughs> looks like a brick of cocaine, which... Uh, it kind of does, but that's not the point. And inside this package, they kind of went with like a Cold War slash numbers station theme. It came with a uh, a portable shortwave radio. It was the Texun PL880. came with a wire antenna, um, a manual for the radio, some batteries. And then it came with like a bit of a, uh, a cipher sheet and a set of instructions listing a shortwave frequency and time to tune to. And it was kind of like a real-life numbers station for these uh, video game YouTubers to uh, tune into, and I guess receive some certain, you know, special code or something that, I don't know, maybe will unlock something for them with the game or whatever. But I thought to myself, man, what a creative means of doing this. I mean, who the heck would have actually thought, especially for a video game company, to uh, incorporate shortwave radio <laughs> and a real life, you know, again, this is like where you could call it an alternate reality game because it is, you know, incorporating real life elements. And uh, it's fascinating. So, you know, you can look at these videos. They got a really nice setup. It was a re It's a good quality radio that they got. The Texun PL880, that's a... $200 radio. I mean, it's good. And um, yesterday they were given this map of the world. They were given times and frequencies to listen to. And yesterday, I guess, was a test transmission. And today is the real broadcast. And um, it's actually going on right now. That's why I was kind of, I realized, oh, yeah, yeah, I can, I can talk about this while it's still fresh in my mind. And um, they gave two frequencies you can listen in on. They gave 17,790 kilohertz and 75,70 kilohertz. I think, I mean, you might say, well, why do you even care about this? I mean, you've admitted that you don't play the game. That you have absolutely, you aren't one of these uh, YouTubers that even got one of the radios. So why do you care so much about this? Um, because I just enjoy the medium of radio and it's something different. I think it's creative. It's cool. I mean, why not? It's just it's something to do. Uh, it's just fun to listen to, honestly. <laughs> why not? But I can't um, receive the broadcast. I, I can get it with a weak signal where I am, but uh, the reason why I can't pick it up stronger is because I found out, and it's actually very nice to see, um, but the video game company uh, purchased airtime, just like I do, to do this broadcast. So they bought airtime from WRMI here in Florida. So they're using the uh, 100 kilowatt 
transmitters that I use to get this signal out to uh, North America, which are the very effective units. They made a good choice to go with WRMI. They're very, they, they do a reliable job. But you can hear, because the signal skips over my location, but opening up a receiver in, uh, let's say, Tennessee, I guess they're just doing a signal test, but they, they're playing this tone. Sounds like this. You know, kind of, eh, kind of spooky, creepy, you know, type of deal. But I just think it's creative. I think it's clever. And uh, I imagine some folks are getting more out of it than I am, but I still think it's pretty interesting. Uh, you know, just a very creative means of utilizing this medium to make a little bit of a, you know, real life, non-sinister uh, number station in order to promote a video game. You know, who would have thought? But I think it's very clever, and uh, it was interesting to watch some of these videos, and you know, you're able to, it's just interesting to see people who have never even heard of shortwave radio suddenly, you know, kind of <laughs> use the medium, try to figure out the technicalities of it all, but it seems like by the end of the day, I guess everyone who was sent this promotional package was able to get the hang of it. Um, some of them seemed to get better reception than others. Oh, look at this. I, I, uh, I saw, now they're not playing the tone anymore. See, they've got, this is what I was telling you about. They have the little numbers station going. See, listen in. See, and that's not, it's, it's, and see, it's just being done for this uh, video game. Again, I guess someone would take the code and the cipher and I figured be able to unlock something with it or who knows. But I think that's pretty cool. I mean, I just think it's neat. Why not? Have fun with it. And that's just one of the reasons why I just think commercial shortwave radio is such a wonderful thing. You know, and look at it this way. Isn't it awesome that these stations are able to sell their airtime to literally anyone, that you could have this company that can purchase airtime and literally make their own numbers station and just be able to go ahead and do it. And it's not just companies. If you want to go out and make your own numbers station just for bleeps and giggles, you can literally go out, buy the airtime and do it right now. No one's going to stop you. You know, if you want to go out and you want to do a talk show, you want to do a music show, if you want to sit there and, you know, play a telephone busy signal for an hour. If you can pay for the airtime, they're going to let you do it. You can do anything you want. That's, you can't, you can't really do that, at least over traditional um, radio, anywhere else. It's not going to happen on AM. It's not going to happen on FM. I, I doubt it's really going to happen that much on satellite. Now, yes, you can do it online. But how many people are necessarily going to listen? You know, it's like... You can stream something live on YouTube and do that, but you are at the mercy of YouTube's algorithms, and chances are, unless you have an established following, not many people are going to find it. Over radio, especially shortwave, when something new comes up, listeners will follow, they will check it out. So, I mean, you're really, you're guaranteed an audience on shortwave. 
you're not necessarily guaranteed an easy audience on many other platforms. But the, the funniest thing about it all was that there wasn't any promotion until this was already ongoing, because yesterday they had this, I guess, signal test, and then today they've been airing this, you know, faux uh, numbers station. There was no promotion of this until it was already happening. So it was like there were two types of, of listeners to all of this at the end of the day. It's kind of funny. You had the Call of Duty enthusiasts who were already watching these live streams from these video game YouTubers, and some of them were trying to listen for themselves by going onto these, you know, online uh, shortwave uh, receivers, you know, the web SDR type things. And then you had the existing shortwave listening audience who were hearing all these strange tones that they've never heard at this frequency before and were all trying to figure out, is this a new station coming up? What is this exactly? And I was part of that group. I had no idea it was even video game related until, um, until later when I saw these videos. I thought it was pretty interesting that I said, oh, that's a really, you know what, that's a cool marketing strategy, and good on them for going out of their way to take the time and effort uh, to do such a thing. It, it was really, it looked like a lot of effort was put into it, and I thought, you know what, I don't, I don't know how good or bad the game is, and I don't really, I don't really care all that much. But in terms of marketing, that's a damn good job. I really have to give them credit. Very creative. And uh, it's just fun, just fun overall. Now, am I saying that with bias? I most certainly am, because I like the uh, medium, but still, so few people even know this stuff uh, exists nowadays. The fact that they realize that, they bought the airtime, they sent out the radios, I don't know. I just think that's some of the more clever marketing that I've seen uh, at this point in time. So, good on them. Good on them, just something fun that I noticed. One other thing that was mentioned to me a number of times, and this is kind of old news, <laughs> and it's not as much of an alternate um, reality game as it is, well, who knows? It is what it is. I mean, people aren't going to like what I'm going to say, because you're going to say, you're a buzzkill, you know? You have no, <laughs> I don't know. It's not so much the concept. It's not so much the concept as it is the reaction that I find stupid. So understand that, but we're entitled to opinions. Uh, the whole monolith phenomenon that's going around. It first started with the Utah monolith. And again, in some cases, I think you could call it an alternate reality game. Not that there's really anything to accomplish. In others, it's just a publicity stunt. I think it's stupid. I really think it's stupid. Again, that's why... Look, I gave you the warning. I gave you all warning that you might be a little disappointed with what I was going to say. I'll tell you why, though. I'll, I'll tell you why I may not necessarily be the biggest fan of the monolith. Because... It's not so much the monolith itself. Look, if you put one up somewhere and 
as long as it's done with permission or whatever, and it's not destroying the environment, I don't really care. It's just the fact that you have so many people that actually think like it is some legitimate mystery that I just kind of feel the excessive mainstream media coverage. That's my problem with it. The excessive mainstream media coverage of this is taking away from far more newsworthy things. Sometimes I think that maybe that's intentional. The amount of people out there who actually think these monoliths <laughs> are being planted by aliens is st staggeringly high. The reason why, I'll tell you this, why I don't think the, uh, the aliens are, uh, are planting these monoliths is quite simple. I just think, wouldn't, wouldn't it be a little strange that extraterrestrials would take what is an established trope in, yes, I think a very good movie. I mean, 2001, Space Odyssey is... It's a fantastic film. You know, it's Kubrick. Kubrick at his best. Some would say, some will argue with that. He's had so many good movies. I even did a whole show on Stanley Kubrick about a year and a half ago. It was very, very... He's just a great filmmaker, you know? What more can you say? But... It just seems unlikely that aliens would somehow make their presence known through what is an established trope in a science fiction film. I don't know about you, but that just seems a little iffy to me. No, yeah, you could theoretically argue against that, and you could say, but what if they did? Well, well, then they did. But I just find that highly doubtful. Another thing, unless they wanted to be found, i.e. aliens, why would they put something that sticks out like a sore thumb in these locations? If, for instance, you know, you had extraterrestrial life, but let's say wanted to put some sort of monitoring device, and I would wager that most extraterrestrial life, if it were to exist, and make it all the way to Earth, would probably be of far, far, far superior intelligence to that of humanity. Right? They would be so far advanced, it would probably blow us away. And, you know, they could probably read minds. I mean, they probably have devices that could read our thoughts, are completely invisible to the naked eye. I mean, it's... I'm sure things that would be that sophisticated. Or if they needed to have a traditional surveillance device, why not just blend it in, if they had the technology, with something that doesn't stand out at all? Make it seem like it's a rock or something. Not this metal pillar in the middle of the desert that everyone will see and take note of. And again, it's just the most obvious thing is that it's just a trope from a film. But, you know, who doesn't love a good mystery, right? But here's where my hostility comes in. Why do these sorts of things deserve the amount of coverage that they're getting as hard news? That's my issue. You know, instead of 
running front page stories either about the election or about <laughs> the civil war that was going on in Ethiopia, severe weather, economic issues, societal unrest, whatever. Instead of covering these important things, why are front page stories about the fact that, oh my god, a monolith appeared in my backyard, popping up? I mean, with the amount of monoliths that are popping up right now, because then you got the original one, and then you get the copycat ones. It's like, what, what is there going to be more of first? Are, are there going to be more monoliths or more headline news stories about the monoliths? And it, the other thing is that it seems to be like it's being dragged out to no end. Every single time another one pops up, then, you know, you get CNN and the New York Times and all of these major media outlets that run a story on it. I mean, do I have to go and buy some sheets of scrap metal and make a monolith and put it in my backyard and then I'll get in the headlines? You know, it's... The coverage is bewildering. It's like, all right, I understand that the first one is was a bit of a phenomenon, and there's nothing, again, there's nothing wrong with having a little bit of good, clean fun with it. But when you get this bafflingly uh, high amount of coverage about it, it makes no sense to me. I just don't get it. And here's what bothered me even more than the coverage. When you realize, you know, that you have this monolith that's put in a very rural, very remote area in Utah, and then it gets the attraction that it does, and then you have so many people that come out there to try to see the monolith on this protected land. They go out and they ruin the environment with no care or regard whatsoever. I think the four men that removed the one in Utah I doubt they were there as any sort of conspiracy to cover up the truth. I think they were there because they were sick and tired of seeing this land uh, getting getting ruined by the amount of people that were flocking to try to see this, and they did the right thing, in my opinion. I think a lot of you know I am a big proponent of interesting conspiracies. I think they're fun. I think they're enjoyable. I'm all about cryptids. I'm all about... Strange lights in the sky, covert activities, all of that. Um, but the supposed monoliths, the coverage that they've been getting, and some of the things I've been seeing regarding them, it just ain't it. That's all that I'll say, in my opinion. It's one of those things that I think could have been innocent and fun, and it's still okay. I'm just uncomfortable with the amount of attention that it's getting, considering what it actually is. Like, you might be saying, all right, well, well then, you stupid hypocrite, um, why haven't you been saying this about the Area 51 raid? As a matter of fact, you seem to be okay with it, so what's going on there, huh? Well, again, the Area 51 raid, I think, had more newsworthy merit than this did. Granted, uh, you know, it involved a, a plan of a purported, you know, 1.2 million or whatever it came to, individuals storming a top-secret military base. So, of course, that has... And then you had an official government response and all of this stuff. You know, it's like, what... 
What has more merit being in the news? A plan of people storming this base that who knows what is inside of it? Or a metal pillar in the desert, you know? Or I guess now is, um, you have copycat ones in Romania and California and the UK and the Netherlands and all of that. Nothing wrong with paying homage to John McCracken or to Stanley Kubrick and 2001 A Space Odyssey or any of that stuff. I guess what's just frustrating to me is just the coverage that people are acting like it's the most important thing they've ever seen. And it just kind of takes away from things that I think are more important than that. I think it's just, you know, balancing things out. But, you know, the world is the way that it is. Not not anything you can do about it, but the monoliths. It's just, it's just, this, it, it's, a, it's a societal fad that I just think... I don't know, maybe it's just a little too popular for what it really is when you when you think about it. I mean, when you really... You can get caught up in the hype, I get it. I've gotten... I've certainly gotten caught up in the hype for many things, but... I guess I just don't understand the appeal. That's, that's what I'm trying to get at. It's like... It's one of those things for me that it's like, all right, cool, you know, it's... Yeah, it's, it's cool. But then just when I see the level of mainstream news coverage of it... And then what really infuriated me was seeing people damaging, again, these lands, trying to get a picture of a, the, the monolith. It was, it's frustrating. You know, in my mind, for good reason. But I have a feeling folks, they see it differently. Uh, granted, if, if people... Of course people see it differently than I do. If they didn't, the monolith wouldn't get the attention that it has. So... You know, it's a trend. There will be a day where people will have forgotten about it, and, you know, five, ten years from now, they'll be like, oh, hey, dude, do you remember the monoliths uh, from 2020? Oh, yeah, I remember that, you know. That's what it'll, what it'll come down to. But just a source of frustration. Let people have their fun. I guess it's just the overreaction, especially in the media and the damage of... Some property is what ground ground my gears, but I can live with it. I'm over it. And you know what? If a monolith pops up on every single street corner overnight, then, uh, hey, whatever happens, happens. I can live with it. I can deal with it. So <laughs> that's what we've got there. Yeah, monoliths and a very, very mini, um, mini rant in regards to them. But whatever. You do you. And uh, the world still turns. Hey, these monoliths popped up, but I guess we're all still here in the end, aren't we? You're listening in to VORW International. The show continues. This next part of the broadcast is the mailbag show. I think it's a listener favorite. Uh, The name and uh, purpose, I think, of the broadcast is pretty much self-explanatory. This is where I read and respond to listener correspondence. It is totally free-form in nature, and really the entire direction of the show, uh, it differs wildly from one email to the next. All it is, is I just see what correspondence comes in, and as I said, I read and respond to it. Now, this could be answering listener questions, Uh, it could be addressing listener topic suggestions, 
It could be sharing your experiences. Um, it could be anything. You can write in with anything you want. Again, questions, comments, pieces of feedback, um, topic suggestions, reception reports. Is there something interesting you saw or did today or read or anything? Anything you want to share to me. It is a clean slate. Um, anything you're comfortable with. It is, it is up to you. Way to get in touch with me is simple, and I certainly encourage you to do so. You can reach me at v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. Again, via email to v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. A third time again, via email to v-o-r-w info at gmail.com. I really hope you can write in. And, uh, you know, it's... Look, this wouldn't happen if folks didn't write in, so you are more than welcome to do so. And uh, I try to get to whatever I can. On another note, for anyone who is feeling artistically inclined, you are more than welcome to create a piece of fan art which will be featured on the YouTube upload of this show. It can be in any style. It can be anything you want to do. You can look at other fan art uh, in previous shows and it, as uh, inspiration, but it's just, again, totally a clean slate if you want to do that and uh, feature your work. Um, I will be more than happy to credit you as well at the beginning of the broadcast and uh, in the description as well. So uh, I can credit you by name, or I could link, let's say, a social media account or uh, a website that maybe hosts your work, or whatever. Just get the name out that, you know, this piece is attributed to uh, who it rightfully should be. So if you want to do that, again, you can just send in um, a piece of fan art, either as an email attachment, or if you want to upload it to a third-party image hosting site and then send me the link, you can do that too. But just get it to me, again, at v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. Either way, I encourage your correspondence, and with that, let's open up the inbox and see what we have today. All right, so introductions aside, I have my water, and I did take a short break, but I have my water here. Let's actually take a sip. I don't know why I didn't do that while the microphone was off, but I don't know, maybe for the authentic listening experience. We have the email open. Oh, first, you know what, before I forget, because I should have done this earlier, but better late than never, right? Let me load this up, because I just don't want to give incorrect information. Hold on, I entered in the wrong website. It was .de, because it's a German site, I put .com, that was my issue. There is a uh, frequency notice for my uh, shortwave broadcast to Europe. I don't know how many of you guys remember this, but a few months ago I was talking about how I have a shortwave broadcast to um, Europe from a transmitter uh, in Germany. And uh, that seems to be going good. The airtime is, uh, you know, pretty affordable. It's not the strongest transmitter in the world, which is sometimes problematic, but, you know, it's one of those instances where, hey, it's <laughs> something is better than nothing. It's a 10-kilowatt transmitter, 
and at least it gets a signal out, you know, to someone somewhere. Um, but I had three broadcasts a week on this station. One was on a Saturday, and then two were every uh, Tuesday. And the problem is that all of a sudden, for two of those three airings, uh, correspondence just fell off of a cliff, you know? It went to just zero. So I started monitoring the broadcasts, and I found out that uh, they were suffering from significant interference from much stronger stations. So two of those airings had very bad interference from the Voice of Turkey and uh, China Radio International, which had uh, transmitters that were at least uh, 50 times as strong as the one that I was using. And I don't even say that as an exaggeration. Those two stations were using uh, 500 kilowatt transmitters, and I was using 10 kilowatts, so no one could hear my broadcast. So, you know, what am I paying for if no one can hear it? You know, it's a waste of money, a total, complete waste. So I decided to uh, move the broadcasts earlier in the day to a time where there is no interference issue. So uh, here is the new schedule, effective uh, immediately and lasting indefinitely. Uh, the time will be in CET, since uh, I think this reaches listeners in Central Europe the best. So now my broadcast can be heard on 6070 kilohertz at the time of 12 o'clock noon. That's 12 o'clock Central European time, 12 hours CET, every Monday and Tuesday on 6070 kilohertz, and every Wednesday at 9 o'clock CET on 6070 kilohertz. So again, 9 a.m. Central European time every Wednesday, 12 o'clock noon midday, every Monday and Tuesday Central European time on 6070 kilohertz. So I hope you could tune in for those. I know it's kind of not the best convenience-wise, but I would rather reach a few listeners um, at this time and at least not have any interference than be at a better time but have zero people able to even hear the broadcast. But already, you know, a few, despite not publicizing it, a few emails from Germany are coming in again, so that's good. It kind of shows that the new time at least is, is effective. It's getting stuff out, so that's good. Okay, we mentioned that. We got that out of the way. Uh, now let's get into our standard emails. It's just This is something I should have mentioned earlier, but I forgot to, so hey, better late than never, right? All right, let's see what the emails uh, are for the show today. First one comes in from Zach, who writes, uh, just a comment, Zach from Wilmington, Delaware here. Hope your December is off to a good start. Listening to the Holiday Movies podcast episode right now and loving the breakdown of the Polar Express hot chocolate scene. I always found that to be the most uncomfortable scene in the movie, but overall I actually enjoy the overall eerie vibes of the film. It's an interesting take on a child's fantasy adventure as far as the implications that there are darker things afoot that are not fully understood, which to me seems like a realistic take on the fantasy genre. 
I also found this video recently and was wondering if you had uh, seen it. It's quite well known and referenced online. Uh, Jamie Oliver shows children how chicken nuggets are made from blended chicken carcass byproducts, hoping to dissuade them from partaking of them in the future. He asks at the end who would still eat them and appears quite crestfallen when they all raise their hands. Also, I know you have seen the legendary classic Supersize Me, but wondered if you have seen the recent sequel that is currently free on YouTube. It focuses on the somewhat recent push from fast food companies to make their menus healthier, especially where chicken is concerned. The creator actually goes as far as to create his own chain of fast food chicken restaurants to prove his points. I'd love to hear your take on this. Anyway, happy holidays. Are you planning to do any special Christmas shows? I, for one, would love to catch it. Let me know from Zach. Thank you, Zach. Um, yeah, I know I've seen the Jamie Oliver one a while back. I'm looking at the video right now. I know that was a, that was a, um, classic from 2010. Yeah, well, you know, it's just, it's just the way that it is. I mean, people eat a lot of things, you know, it's... It's just how things are, sadly. I think some people think that, oh, I show them this, and this will, this will dissuade them. They will, they'll never do that after I show them this. Yeah. Think again, right? So, um, now, yes, I have seen the original Super Size Me. I actually, I saw it a couple times. I remember the one scene from Super Size Me where you have the guy that only eats the Big Macs, you know? I remember that guy. And I knew he was pretty, um... He was no bodybuilder or anything, but he was still in, uh... Good enough shape for eating all the Big Macs. I guess it's just... You know, it's... Well, I guess it's all in moderation. But obviously, supersize me. The, the whole point of the film is to try to prove the point that... If you take this fried garbage... And you eat... Inordinate amounts of it, three meals a day, in vast quantities, of course there are going to be adverse health effects. You know, when it comes down to these reviews that I do, the whole point of it is to just let people know what the product uh, tastes like, and you should just consume it at your own discretion, and do so in moderation, you know, it's what it comes down to. Now, I myself, I don't eat very much. And that's just the way that I am. I'm just not... I guess I don't have a big appetite. That's what I'm trying to say. I usually just eat one meal a day. And uh, sometimes I will partake, you know, in the fast food. Sometimes a bit healthier. I try to stay active. But mind you, I myself am not in perfect um, shape. I'm, you know, I'm, again, I'm not some fit toned bodybuilder or something like that. I mean, it's, you know, I'm very scrawny, but I'm, I'm happy with the way I am. That doesn't bother me, but of course, all these sorts of foods have risks, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say, including the recent uh, chicken sandwich craze. But now, I haven't seen Super Size Me too. I guess it's called Holy Chicken. Holy Chicken. Yeah. 
wonder if this was made... It says it was released in 2019. Do you think this was made before or after the whole Popeyes fiasco? I actually YouTube lied. They lied. They said it was from 2019, but it was actually 2017. So that if that's the case, well, no, now I'm finding conflicting information. <laughs> Some places say the movie was released in 2017, and others say it was released in 2019. What is it? Because if it was released in 2017, Supersize Me Too, then that's implying that it kind of predicted... Oh, it already saw what was going on. I guess it read the writing on the wall. Because, you know, in 2019, you had the whole the whole chicken sandwich craze with the Popeye's chicken sandwich and Chick-fil-A and all these things doing their chicken sandwiches, you know. Ours is the best. Gotta, gotta have it. Gotta sit there in the line <laughs> wrapped around the building ten times for, you know, you gotta wait for five hours to get the chicken sandwich. <laughs> you know how it is. People, they love their chicken sandwiches, and admittedly, I am a, a chicken sandwich fan as well. I guess I kind of... I understand the craze behind it. All right, thank you for writing in. And Oh, as for a holiday show, uh, there's nothing on the books right now. No, um, no plans for one, but... Because I do have already established radio airtime that falls on Christmas, you know, the 25th, uh, I think there will be a Christmas show. It's just not going to be on any additional stations, but I think there will be broadcasts. So as that gets closer, I'm just going to do a, a, a good job publicizing my existing broadcasts on that day in order to uh, get the word out. Now have some holiday music and stuff. It'll be... It'll be a little more toned down than previous years, but I think it'll still be fun. We've got uh, Jeff tuned in, just says, um, I watched a brief Reuters video about Havana Syndrome, likely due to directed radio frequency. I'd like to hear what you think about it. So, uh, yes, Havana Syndrome was... This was something that happened... Right, here's the official description of it. Havana Syndrome is a set of medical signs and symptoms experienced by United States and Canadian Embassy staff in Cuba. Beginning in August 2017, reports surfaced that American and Canadian diplomatic personnel in Cuba had suffered a variety of health problems dating back to late 2016. The U.S. government accused Cuba of perpetrating unspecified attacks, causing these symptoms. The United States reduced staff at their embassy to a minimum in response. In 2018, U.S. diplomats in China reported problems similar to those reported in Cuba, as well as undercover CIA agents operating in other countries who were negotiating with those countries on ways to counter Russian covert operations around the world. Uh, they found evidence that some of the diplomats experienced a sort of brain injury. And let's see. The health problems typically had a sudden onset, 
the victim would suddenly begin hearing strange grating noises that they perceived as coming from a specific direction. Some of them experienced it as a pressure or vibration, or as a sensation comparable to driving a car while the window, with the window partially rolled down. The duration of these noises ranged from 20 seconds to 30 minutes, and always happened while the diplomats were either at home or in hotel rooms. Other people nearby, family members, and guests in neighboring rooms did not report hearing anything. The Associated Press has released what it said was a recording of the sound some embassy workers heard while in Cuba. All right, now, there are various opinions on this. I mean, my own thoughts on this is crystal clear. I think it was an attack. And I imagine that it was probably with uh, directional, you know, microwave, uh, either transmitters or weapons or whatever, you know, in a sense, kind of weaponized microwaves in order to, uh, you know, just as a means of trying to hurt these, these diplomats. I remember some people had tried to, you know, debunk it and say, well, it's, uh, they all just happened to get uh, tinnitus at the same time and you know, that's it, but... I mean, these, these sorts of things really do happen, in my opinion. There's lots of covert things in this world. Lots of covert activities, lots of covert um, weapons, you name it. This stuff is real. This stuff really happens. You even look at the causes, the official cause, likely caused by directed microwaves. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this was the case, considering that the U.S. especially doesn't have the best relations right now with Cuba. And relations are a bit shaky with China. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised that this shady stuff got pulled. I'm, I'm really not surprised in the least. I feel bad for the diplomats, but I suppose this is one of the risks, you know, of the job. Uh, a diplomat, of course, it makes you a target. It, it does. Uh, granted, a lot of it is just, you know, your standard, um, you know, standard uh, statesmanly activities, but you are a target. So it's scary stuff. I mean, I believe it. And, and the saddest thing is that some of the damage, of course, is permanent, which it is scary. But I mean, of course, there are technologies that various governments have and use even routinely that would blow our minds that of course isn't available to the public or at least to the extent um, or strength or whatever that it's used by governments so yeah, it doesn't surprise me sadly but it's sad very sad they're just doing their jobs all right let's continue on and uh let's see next message comes in from a listener who goes by the name va my wife and I have recently been going through your Burger King videos, among others, very enlightening. And I was plagued by a question when I watched your skincare routine. Do you like personal fragrances, colognes, or perfumes? Although they are a strong statement, especially in this period, I know all too well how tiring it can be to wear formals in warm weather, and sometimes it acts as a refresh. Thanks and love from VA. Thank you for your question. Uh, short answer, it's... 
I, I have nothing against them. I, I think some of them are interesting. It's fun to smell all the different scents. Um, but I cannot say that I am a frequent wearer of them. Uh, although, again, some of them can be very, very pleasant to, uh, again, to smell. It's always hit or miss to me, though, because some of them, it just, it seems as though they can be, like, intoxicatingly strong and can give you a bit of a headache, almost. But either way, I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's uh, one of those things that I have nothing against. It's just, it's a case-by-case basis, but maybe one day it's something that I'll get, I'll get more into. You never know. This email comes in from Brody, who says, I need advice on my long-running friendship. We've been close since I can remember. My mom used to babysit when I was really young, and he was one of those kids she babysat, and we just stayed close all these years. We've never really wavered in that friendship, and it's been my closest relationship all this time. He went off to Germany in 2017 as he got stationed there in the army. For two years, that didn't matter. We played video games on weekends and sent each other dumb videos from Twitter and just kept in touch and stayed close friends. Anyway, the past year, it has seemed that our friendship is dying. Normally, I wouldn't have a problem letting a friendship die, but this has always felt different. I decided to stop reaching out lately because it's felt he just doesn't really care anymore. Maybe I just need confirmation that I should forget about it and move forward, or maybe I just need to let him know how I feel. I don't want to be the needy friend, but I want to know where I stand. Anyway, sorry for the long email. This was helpful to write out my thoughts to someone even if I don't hear back, thanks. Well, thank you, Brody. Now, you know, that's a, that, I think that's a, a problem that a lot of folks have. And this is one of those things. Friendships can sometimes be unwavering and, and seemingly permanent. Uh, other cases, you know, they do. They, they come and go. Sometimes I think back you know, to when I was in school. And right now I am not a very social person, but that's by my own choice. But when I was in school, I had a number of acquaintances. But, you know, again, it's... You have people that you talk to, people that you spend time with, and then sometimes just the way things are, uh, you stop seeing them and... They stop seeing you, and eventually things just kind of, you know, they, they peter out. Uh, sometimes it's not the case, but every circumstance is different. Some friendships last, others don't, and that's just one of the realities of life. So to give you a real answer here, I mean, sometimes these friendships, they just aren't meant to be anymore. So it's up to you now. I think you're kind of... See, this can go two ways, so hear me out. I think you're kind of... You're reading uh, the writing on the wall. Hence your reaction of saying, well, I'm just 
you know, kind of going to cut things off and see what happens. And I think, and I hate to say it so strongly, but one way to kind of gauge, well, does this individual even value me as a friend anymore, is if you just cease communication and he doesn't even communicate with you anymore, uh, then that sends a very strong message to me. Now, there is the possibility that he could just be legitimately busy, and he's like, oh, you know, and damn, I'm sorry I haven't reached out to you, you know, yeah, I'm still, I still think highly of you, I'd love to hang out with you, I'm sorry, it's just been so crazy, but considering that you've mentioned that <laughs> there was plenty of time in the past to still watch silly videos and play uh, video games and stuff together, again, I don't know what's going on in his life or your life, but that scenario seems a little less likely. Sometimes folks just change, their interests change, their preferences change, and yes, their social situation changes as well, including who their friends are. You know, some friendships, they last for decades, and others, you know, they last for a bit, and they kind of fade out and and fade away. So going forward, what can the course of action be? Well, I'd say you have two things that you can probably do. Number one, do not force the friendship to be artificially reignited, because I just don't think that's really going to get you anywhere. You know, I don't really think you should should try to force yourselves to hang out or whatever if one doesn't want to anymore. That's not a happy friendship, you know? Then what's the point? Shouldn't be that way. Uh, my, My opinion is, if you want... Don't do anything and just let fate uh, play its role, you know, kind of as you did. And again, if you don't respond and he doesn't respond back, then I think that kind of tells you that, yeah, the friendship, it's just kind of died out sadly. And yeah, it might be disappointing. It might be depressing. It might be sad. But just say, well, you know, going forward, maybe I'll I'll find some other friends who, you know, will, will maybe appreciate that bond better. Or, if you want to be slightly confrontational, but again, understand this does not guarantee results, and you have to go about this very carefully, um, because, you know, you have to respect how this guy feels also, but you can kind of say, hey, you know, I know we, you'd have to say this in your own unique way, mind you, this is just the gist of it. You'd have to just say something like, hey, you know, I know we used to, we used to hang out a lot, we used to... You know, we used to spend a lot of time together. I kind of, you know, I miss those good days. Uh, You know, is everything going all right? Or something like that, you know. I think you'd know a better way to say it than me. See what the response is. But again, that could also lead to things. It could possibly reignite the friendship. Or you might have to just face the harsh reality that it just isn't what it used to be anymore. And if that's the case, I just ask for you to just accept it for what it is and try your best to turn the page, move on, and, uh, you know, hey, maybe around the corner a better friendship will exist, you know? That's just my advice. It might not be perfect, it might not be the right thing to say, but it's just, it's my view. So thank you for writing in. Let's look um, at what other emails we have here. We've got Jarrett in Ohio writing in. 
Uh, just writing in after listening to the latest podcast where you discussed the Polar Express. I remember seeing the movie as a child and thought it was amazing, but now looking back at it, it was quite eerie and dark at times, and overall, uh, <laughs> it has an unsettling feel to it, almost like the whole thing was a hallucination. I also rewatched Home Alone 2 and found how hilarious and dark the movie is. Kevin, the child, pretty much murders two robbers multiple times. I mean, right from the start, he drops a brick on the dude's head from about five stories up and proceeds to trap slash injure them multiple times. Personally, I think the movie uh, is fantastic and hilarious. Anyway, just wanted to see what you thought of the movie if you've ever seen it. So thanks for writing in. I've seen that movie a long time ago. It's been a while. It's been probably 14 years since I last saw it. But... I remember the kid in that movie. He was a savage. Let me tell you, he, <laughs> he, he, he was something else. That's all I could, that's all I could really say. <laughs> so thanks for writing in. We have one coming in from, <laughs> from Geo. <laughs> a question for the podcast. Would you rather buy a tank that shoots shortwave radios or a giant chalupa, good for 354 days. Also, I hope your dental problems clear up soon. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you, Gio. <laughs> well, first and foremost, just onto the dental one. Um, yeah, I mean, hopefully everything is going in the right direction. The next appointment I have is scheduled for January. So it's kind of just a period for the next month where I'll just, you know, sit around and that's about it. Now, on to the important question. A tank that shoots shortwave radios or a giant chalupa, which, again, is good for not quite a year, slightly under it, 354 days. I'm going to have to go, and this is a tough question, because you can do a lot with both of these things. I mean, the chalupa, I can nibble at it, you know, every day, uh, save food costs. I can save it and I can put it on display as like some sort of sideshow attraction. So there are ways from purely an economical standpoint that the Chalupa will be beneficial. But the tank that shoots shortwave radios is easily more powerful. And the things that you can do with this instrument would be out of this world. So easily, I'm going with the first one, uh, because even though the other one is cool, definitely the one where you can shoot the, the shortwave radios, I think is definitely going to work more to my benefit than the giant chalupa. But a good question. Each one has their benefits and their drawbacks. So thank you for checking in. A short email coming in from Tommy in the UK. He just says, Today I got my Spotify 2020 wrapped story thing. I found that you are my number one podcast for 2020. So thank you, Tommy, for being a regular, a very regular listener. Glad you are uh, tuned in and enjoying the shows uh, on Spotify. Thanks for listening. Sky is writing in with uh, a comment. 
Hi, I just wanted to say I really appreciate how genuine you are. You haven't changed really since you started your YouTube channel. You're a very refreshing channel in a very strange world of otherwise boring, of otherwise boring, generic, throwaway internet personalities. And I can't stress enough how truly cool that is, especially for someone so young like you to have so many different interesting and unique thoughts and interests. I'm sure you get this sort of thing a lot, but I wonder if you have ever thought about past lives, if you believe in such a thing, and if so, do you have any specific connection or gravitational pull to the 1940s thereabouts? I'd love to know your thoughts. Keep on keeping on report slash review bra. All the best from Sky. Thank you, Sky, for checking in. I can't say that I am particularly a huge believer in past lives. I just haven't seen any any substantial proof of that. Now, I mean, who knows what happens, right? <laughs> we don't really have an answer to that. And I know that there are folks out there who certainly claim, sometimes very convincingly, uh, to have past life experiences. It is interesting, but again, personally, I haven't had any sorts of past life experiences of my own, nor have I any specific connection with the 1940s. I think I've said this before, and sometimes it's a bit confusing because I think to this question, an easier answer would be to simply lie and say, oh, I feel a very strong connection to the 1940s, and uh, that's why I am the way I am. But the real answer is that I don't feel any connection to the 1940s, nor do I to any particular decade. I simply like what I like. Now, my hairstyle, I would say, is very much a hairstyle that you would see in the 1940s, 30s, or 20s. But the suits... While some people do think 1940s, they really are 1980s and 1990s suits. Although the suits from that era were, in some cases, modeled after suits in the 1940s. So it's um, shortwave radio. It was an interest in the 40s, as it was in the 30s, 20s. And it was a big interest all the way up until the early 2000s in much of the world. I mean, so so many of the things... I can't really say it's just this one decade, this one time period. It's just, it's just a blend of everything that I just am what I am. And I've, I've said this before, sometimes it's confusing. Again, it's easier to just say, oh, well, I really like the 40s and uh, that's what I try to be. Um, but that's, again, just not the truth. I, I, I just am what I am, whatever that amounts to. So uh, thank you for writing in. Next email comes from, let's Let's find this one here. Uh, Charlie writing in. Hi, I love your YouTube and your podcast, and I was just wondering, do you have any overcoats as I am looking for a nice one for winter? I found a few, however, you have good fashion sense, so I thought to ask you many things. I do, but the answer that I have for you isn't going to be a very good one. Um, the overcoat that I have is about 11 years old now. And I got it 
at the store Burlington Coat Factory back, again, 11 years ago. That store, subsequently, in my opinion, has gone downhill to extremes, and uh, it's all trash, at least from what I've found. Because the coat that I wear right now um, is a formal overcoat. It's black, it's single-breasted, I think it's three buttons, and it's a long coat. Uh, It goes down... I think slightly below my knees in length. So it's a long coat. I mean, it is a, uh, a, you know, I would say a full length overcoat, but I like it. It's very formal. It's very old school. And uh, I enjoy wearing it. You know, it just, it keeps me warm, but it's something that at least I could wear comfortably um, with a tie. And, you know, it's better than at least to me, a puffy parka. Also, just in terms of of the length, you know, because it not only keeps my torso warm, but, you know, it keeps my legs warm, too. So I like it. It's a very comfortable, very warm coat. Problem is, is that I have looked at various stores. I mean, all of them, um, (laughs) all the major outlets and all the the non-major outlets for coats similar to this. And you can find some older ones in this style, but it is very difficult to find an overcoat in this style, it seems, off the rack anymore, like I was able to, which is a shame. You know, overcoats, I think, just in that style are a little... They're just... They're, they're difficult to find. And I think some of the folks, at least who are, you know, in high places who still wear those types of, of styles, um, I bet they get them custom-made. Like, uh, Trump, regardless of your thoughts on him, his overcoats are pretty nice. And I would wager he gets those custom-made by some tailor somewhere, you know, because he can afford to do that. I mean, that's, you know, what a lot of big-name politicians or uh, business people or one-percenters or whoever who uh, dress that way still, they don't go to a store and just buy them. They get them custom-made, you know, for probably several thousand dollars. Uh, but when you're talking about, you know, just an average individual, it gets a lot tougher because you don't have that sort of, of budget, you know? Who, who really has that type of money to invest in clothing? So that's when you have to start looking, well, is there a store that I can go to that I can get this sort of stuff at? Well, they used to be, but not as easy anymore. I mean, so you can start looking in secondhand stores, but again, I think the real good coats that don't have stains or tears or any of that, they go very quickly. Um, But keep looking. You might get lucky somewhere. But the problem is that all the stores nowadays seem to just be selling either these slim fit overcoats, which I don't like, or these, they call them, you know, like, car-length coats that simply go down to the waist. And again, I'm looking for the real old-school long ones, which I guess just aren't trendy. They don't think that they're going to sell that well. Maybe only older demographics usually buy them, so you just don't see them that much, which is a shame. But thank you for writing in. Next email comes in, staying on the uh, topic of uh, formal wear, Basilio in Evansville, Indiana. Please reply, I wear suits. 
I thought I hated suits, but when I watched your video on uh, why I wear suits, I loved it. I wear medium tie suits. It looks good on me. I can understand why you love suits. Uh, some people are just plain idiots to say something mean to you about wearing them. Uh, well, thank you for your kind words, Basilio. I appreciate it, and, you know, that's how it is sometimes. Like, my view is wear what you want to wear, right? I personally think one should present themselves with dignity. That's my personal view. But wear what you want to wear. Um, I say give give formal wear a chance. You know, look at your case. You don't really know it till you try it. So... You know, I think it's up to you. I mean, I think it's, yeah, the people who sit there and they mock you and and uh, make fun of you because you're dressed nicely. You know, it's just very immature behavior. Unfortunately, there are a lot of immature people in this world who do say these silly things. I mean, I still get comments to this day, you know. Uh, you know, it's always on online now. It's always just on YouTube. Why are you dressed like this? Why are you wearing this stupid whatever? Why are you, you know... And people pick on you. And you have to understand that. Some people, they're just bullies. They just, they, they pick on you. Unfortunately, if you choose to dress that way, people will give you a hard time. But you have to go with what you want to do. That's most important. So please, dress as you wish. And don't let the detractors uh, try to stop you. You know, you have to do what you're comfortable uh, doing. So thank you for your kind words. Next email comes in from Jude, who says, I recently started listening to your show after watching one of the famous Running on Empty videos. I have to say, when I clicked on the podcast, I was not expecting uh, such a, a, a deeply intellectual show full of philosophy, sociology, and theology with an amazing host. Well, thank you. I think you're giving me way too much praise there. I... I I don't think my show is all that, but thank you for your kind words. Uh, continuing, your show is full of all my favorite topics, and whenever I'm in the car, I love to open Spotify and start listening to VORW, especially during night rides. I have one question, and I ask it with no bad intent in mind. What are your thoughts on working out slash exercise? I was never huge on exercise throughout my life, but after endless teasing and occasional bullying on behalf of my peers for being scrawny and thin, I decided to try it out a couple years back. After pushing myself harder each day, I developed muscle and found that much of my negative outlook on life had changed. It genuinely made me a happier, more satisfied person. You seem to be very down and saddened about the state of our society and world, which I can hugely relate with. In hand with bullying you face on the daily, which I'm sure is much worse than anything I ever faced, I feel like me and you are kind of in the same boat. Working out keeps me happy and positive, and the feeling of accomplishment and results are very rewarding. I'd love to know your thoughts on the matter. Have you ever tried a workout slash gym routine, gotten a personal trainer, or the like? Do you think working out is a good way to stay happy? If not, what are some of your pastimes to keep you happy and positive? Your show never fails to get me thinking about deeper meanings of life 
And your jokes always put a smile on my face. Keep up the good work, and I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, so thank you, Jude, for checking in. Well, number one, I think, purely on a health point of view, exercise is vital and important. You have to stay active if you want to live a healthy life. So that's spot on for one's physical well-being. Um, exercise, to a certain degree, is important. It most definitely is. I think, however, to an emotional or psychological well-being... Again, it's different for the individual. I can absolutely see in some cases where workouts and exercise can really be such an improvement to one's life. It makes total sense. It finally can give someone a sense of accomplishment, fulfillment, And perhaps as one physically undergoes this transformation, you know, even a sense of kind of positive reinforcement and you get compliments, you get, you can join a community, whatever. And it's, it's just all good all around, um, in some cases. It could also be a good way to kind of blow off steam and stress and refocus your mind onto, uh, onto the workout and, and perhaps even self-improvement. Uh, now, that definitely does work for some. Uh, for others, however, and I've, I've heard it a number of times, everyone's different. Everyone's mind is different. This is something that works for some. For others, they say, you know, I've wasted all this time working at it. It doesn't do a damn thing for me. It doesn't help change the real um, problems that I'm, I'm dealing with and facing. And, you know, don't bother doing it. It's, it's a waste of time. Right? Now, that's a very different outlook, a very different viewpoint on the matter, but it is one that I see exhibited as well. Some people act, I think, that working out is a cure-all. You know, you have anxieties, go work out. You have depression, go work out. You have sexual frustration, go work out. You have this, go work out. You have that, go work out. You know, working out can sometimes, for some, be a solution is not a guaranteed it does not guarantee a certain outcome and i think if someone decides to just start working out because you think it's going to make you happy i don't think it's going to i think it's all about the frame of mind you have while you're while you're beginning it if you feel terrible and you're saying all right i'm going to lift this make me happy <laughs> you know you look at weights and you kind of say all right i'm going to lift this you know whatever, 50 times, and I expect to be happy at the end of it, you're not going to. You're probably going to be just as down and probably more frustrated than you were at the beginning that you feel you wasted this physical exertion for nothing. It's, do you want to give it a try? Do you think it will help you? What is your view on it? Then maybe it will, but maybe it won't. I think it's kind of like the results, of course, physically, if you do you know, put your best foot forward can certainly be rewarding for some, but it's all how you view it, right? And that's just, that's just how I kind of see it anyway. For me personally, I don't have a workout regimen. 
And I don't really care if I'm scrawny or skinny. I mean, I don't care. I mean, I could be even smaller and that doesn't bother me at all. So, I mean, I just focus a lot on reading, um, even writing short stories, on music listening, doing broadcasts, managing the YouTube channel, all those sorts of things. And then sometimes just to myself, I'll just explore, you know, various thought experiments and just think about what ifs and waste time doing those sorts of things. Um, like another thing, I just don't think to me working out is going to change my views on the way some things are. You know, it's not just going to make me blasé and uh, think, oh, you know, it's all good. You know, it's <laughs> So I just try not to dwell on it. Though. I try not to, you know, look into those negatives and think that's all that there ever is to anything. Yeah, there's a lot of things I don't, you know, I don't really like the way, uh, you know, the way certain things are. But I just try not to let those things get the best of me and run my life. Thanks for writing in, and uh, certainly staying active is important. And if one wishes to uh, partake in working out, by all means, I, I encourage you to do so. This next email comes in from Eric in Cameron, Illinois a big fan of the VORW podcast. He says he also has a Texan PL380 radio, uh, and he says it's been very enjoyable to tune into various shortwave broadcasts, including yours. Uh, so thank you for always recommending shortwave radio to your listeners. Uh, to interject, thank you, Eric, for your kind words, and uh, I'm glad you have a radio. To anyone listening in, I encourage you as well to get one if it is uh, something of interest to you. You can, uh, of course, get so many out there, but I recommend getting, uh, like Eric got, the uh, Texun PL380 radio or the Texun PL310ET radios. You can find those a wide variety of retailers. You can get them on Amazon. If you want to get one and support this show at the same time, uh, then you can find one at amazon.com shop slash the report of the week that's amazon.com slash shop slash the report of the week okay continuing you said uh, second my question for you have you ever watched any sort of competitive eating i find it's an incredibly entertaining sport and a little disgusting at times watching someone like joey chestnut eat a <laughs> eat 32 Big Macs in a single sitting almost inspires a sense of awe that a single person can eat that much food at once. Also wishing you a happy holiday season. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you very much for your kind words. A happy holiday season to you as well, my friend. And, um, I have watched Competitive Eating, and this I will say regarding it. Number one, it is not a very dignified pastime at all. Uh, it's the epitome of gluttony. But there is something in some very weird, nearly indescribable sense uh, enthralling about it in some sort of mystical way. 
one thing that I had the, the I say this very sarcastically, mind you, the uh, pleasure of witnessing in person for two years was uh, the Nathan's hot dog eating contest qualifier, which is never as good as the real thing. I've watched the real thing on television, but in 2016 and 2017, because I went to the NASCAR race in Pocono, Pennsylvania, they um, were doing, I guess as part of the pre-race festivities, this uh, hot dog eating contest qualifier, which, uh, I mean, was pretty amusing anyway. But uh, I was I was there, and I filmed it, and you can watch it. Um, it's about, I think the 2016 one is uh, 29 minutes, and the 2017 one is 18 minutes. But if you want to watch it, by all means, I recorded them, and they are at the Report of the Week channel. But granted, these guys aren't necessarily the pros. I mean, some of them know what they're doing, but you're just watching these guys uh, and girls. There were a few female participants as well. You know, eating as many of these hot dogs as they possibly can. And this is one of those activities that I will that I will occasionally watch. Sometimes it's just disgusting. I can't. But you wouldn't. I wouldn't dare participate in it. I just couldn't. I would not be able to physically handle it. I can barely eat <laughs> one hot dog, for goodness sake. I don't know how these folks eat what they do. I really don't know how they do it. And I can't even imagine how they must feel otherwise. But it's crazy stuff. Crazy stuff, let me tell you. But, uh, yeah, the 2016 and 2017 hot dog uh, qualifiers there in Pocono, Pennsylvania. Very interesting, uh, interesting stuff. I don't know how people do it, though. It's That's the thing that's amazing to me, I guess, is how folks are able to eat all this food somehow. Like, how is that even possible? I don't know, and I don't even want to think about what happens afterward, but I doubt it's very pleasant, and I doubt it's it's very comfortable either. But thanks, Eric, for writing in. You're listening in to VORW International. Feedback is welcome if you're listening to VORW. I-N-F-O at gmail.com All right, well, checking the uh, time, I figure for the sake of this show, or, um... Well, let's see. I think we can go on for another hour, or thereabouts. So, that's what the plan will be. We'll uh, get to as much additional correspondence as possible. So, let us continue. I have the emails that I want to, uh, you know, finish up with. I have those marked down. So let's just pick out another random one. Okay, this one comes down to Leslie, which is uh, as follows. Hi, John. First off, I wanted to thank you for responding to my email in the podcast. Sometimes I listen to the show at work, and hearing my email made my stressful day a little better. I have a couple of questions for you whenever you get the chance. What do you do to stay positive or stay calm when bombarded with bad news? Coronavirus-related, political, or otherwise? And second question, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but you said that your shortwave show 
Uh, also goes out on a few AM uh, stations in the US. If so, what stations are they? Best wishes from Leslie. Thank you, Leslie, for writing in. Uh, to get to the short question first, there are there are two reliable broadcasts right now of the uh, shortwave station, uh, you know, relayed on AM. The first one goes out uh, every, I guess it's Saturday morning, though some people would call it Friday night, but formally it's Saturday morning, at the time of 3 a.m. Eastern on 1300 a.m., Nashville, Tennessee. I know that sounds like a silly hour, but believe it or not, of all the syndicated airings um, of the show that goes out, that that is up there with being one of the most listened to ones. Um... Some people make fun of the late-night airings, but believe me, there is an audience. There is an audience out there late at night. I guess there's a lot of night owls that enjoy the show because they certainly uh, tune in uh, in large number. Uh, The second consistent AM airing is on 5.40 AM over in Utah, and that airs from the time of 12 p.m. Eastern to 3 p.m. Eastern every Saturday. It's a full three-hour broadcast. Um, That one, I just, I I relay the entire talk show, usually, though sometimes I'll fill it with some random stuff to kill some time. But that gets out pretty good. Uh, There have been other stations in the past that kind of, you know, I do some here, I do some there, and I I just see the results and and, kind of go from there. But uh, that's what we have consistently. Most of the effort right now is just put toward uh, international shortwave broadcasting as well as online um, streams and uh, hosting this show thereon. So that's the uh, second question. I know I got to that first. Uh, As for your main question, staying positive. Now, I have said this before. I know I actually gave a pretty detailed answer. I think it's just how people deal with things. Uh, granted, we are in a world where so many, you know, bits of negative stimuli are, are sent our way day after day after day. And that could be a lot. I mean, you look at COVID, you look at um, responses to COVID, you look at Lots of things that are going on right now. Uh, negative news prevails and dominates. I was thinking about this for a moment as I was reading over your questions, and I, and I kind of paused the microphone because a minute of dead air just wouldn't really... I don't think it would sound all that good. Um, but I was sitting there, and I was assessing it because of something that I thought to myself, well, you know, how, how do I? Part of me wonders that maybe it's just because I'm not a very excitable person. You know, I know that there's individuals who... And I think this is just how they are, but I'm just not one of those people. It's like they see something, and they immediately get all fired up about it, and they immediately begin ranting and yelling and uh, going into profane tirades about it. And it's like you have people who are this way every waking moment. 
Uh, I am not, nor have I ever been, one of those individuals. Now, one mistake I think people make is interpreting not being excitable, and again, not being very fired up about things, as being apathetic. Though That's not the same thing. Uh, that's just being ignorant to say, well, they're, they're, they're not like me, so they have to feel this way or they have to feel that way, obviously. Yeah, not necessarily. Uh, you know, it's not true. So, it's difficult in some cases to stay positive. If I reflect that, that's great. Sometimes, though, yeah, this stuff, it does wear down on you. There was uh, some story, I doubt anything's going to come of this, but... Who knows, watch, I'm going to be cursing myself for even saying this. But, you know, there was some um, mystery illness in India. And I was thinking to myself, oh boy, you know, here we go again. But I don't know. I don't know. It's one of those things that I don't know if that's necessarily going to amount to anything. It might just be some sort of localized... Thing. I don't know if it's necessarily viral or bacterial or what. Um, just a lot of people sick there, though they said that they found um, nickel and lead in uh, some of the infection, uh, in some of the afflicted uh, patients' blood. But I remember there was another thing. There was some outbreak of a type of, uh, apologies for my mispronunciation, but hantavirus which I think usually comes from rats. I remember there was an outbreak of that in China earlier in the year, too, and that got in the headlines for a little bit. People were like, oh my god, it's going to be another, another one. And it wasn't. But sometimes it's also, you know, tiresome, you see. And it's not just from the, the point of virology. It's just you look at these things that happen, and uh, sometimes I can't help but in my mind, I don't express it outwardly, usually. But I'll read some story and I'll think, oh, not this S again. <laughs> you know? You ever get that way? You just read it and you're thinking, oh, yeah, not this again. Not this again. Haven't we had enough of whatever this year? You know, it's... Sometimes I have those moments. So, yeah, sometimes it gets tough to uh, keep my chin up. It all depends. One thing that I try to say is, well... Maybe uh, from the perspective of society or the world or whatever is going on, you try to say, well, maybe there will be better days ahead. But you cannot make yourself blissfully ignorant. You can't say, oh, you know, those rainbows are just around the corner. Because uh, that's counting on something that may not actually happen. But you do need to keep your eyes... You need to keep them... Focused on the road ahead, but also on the uh, on the more distant horizon. You know, you got to see what's in the present. But I try to stay optimistic for the future if there's a lot of bad news. Otherwise, you know, you try if it's something that you can do anything about. Like most of the stuff that I focus on, I cannot do a single thing about, and I am fully aware of that. That's that's I think the most demoralizing thing about it all. You see all this stuff, and you don't like it, but you know you're powerless to do anything about it. Um, be that because there's just too many people involved or it's being orchestrated by institutions 
uh, you know, that you obviously have no control over whatsoever. You cannot do anything about. But one thing that, at least the things that maybe you can do something about, maybe more on a smaller scale, not global or national, but maybe personal, when presented with bad news, one thing, and it's easier said than done, but I know it's something that really does help, instead of wallowing in the bad news, at least for an extended period of time, uh, try to try to get yourself busy to try to fight against it or to uh, at least get yourself in a better spot. You know, whatever that might be, if you lose a job, we can easily fall into a, uh, a rut and uh, feel, you know, like a failure, feel pointless, hopeless, the situation's bad, I know. But try your best to also focus some of that energy on, you know, trying to get something else. Might not be perfect, but, you know, in some cases, something is better than nothing. Try to tackle those problems if you can. But I just try to say that there's a lot of bad in this world, and now going back to the general terms, that there's a lot of bad in this world, but you can't forget the good, too. That's another thing, and I think that's one point that I had brought up in previous shows when asked about that. How do you deal with all the negativity? Well, number one, you just can't... You, you, you can't, at least to the best of your abilities, try to let it totally control you. You have to open your eyes to it, though. You have to understand what's there. Do not put yourself in a bubble or uh, some sort of fantasy world. But at the same time, you know, you have to say, well, yes, yes, there is uh, a lot of terrible, a lot of terrible things in this world. Terrible people, terrible situations, terrible circumstances, uh, you name it, and they've got it pretty much. But you can't forget that there are some good people and things and places in this world as well. Thank you for writing in. Next uh, question comes in from... Aaron, who says, I hope this correspondence finds you well. I just finished the most recent show and I enjoyed the analysis of the refreshment scene from the Polar Express. It can be a nice thought exercise to undertake. Uh, I recently uh, purchased a Texun PL380 receiver from uh, the Amazon store and I've been tinkering uh, tinkering with it. Uh, Unfortunately, I live in a basement room Um, which seems to be uh, detrimental to picking up broadcasts, but hopefully I'll find a way to enhance the experience. Uh, To interject uh, real quick, um, I'll send you the best frequencies for your area. Uh, I'll send a few reception tips as well. And one thing that I also recommend doing is getting a wire antenna, try stringing that near the windows or outside if you can. Reception should really be better. Uh, one thing, just on one note, just in general shortwave reception terms, sometimes electronic devices uh, cause huge amounts of interference. For instance, I've learned that my cell phone charger, when it's plugged in and when the phone is charging, it generates a lot of static interference. So if I try to listen to the radio in the same room when this phone is charging, it won't sound as good. There will be a lot of static noise. But when I unplug the phone from its charger, uh, it sounds much better, and the uh, noise, so to speak, drops considerably. 
and uh, it's much, much better. Another example is a charger that I got for one of my laptops because the original charger broke and I couldn't find the exact one because it was a little older. Uh, at least I think, I think the place I wanted to get it from, it was out of stock. So I had to buy this kind of temporary charger that was compatible. Um, I had to get it from Amazon and, you know, sure enough, it was this cheap piece of garbage. You know, it worked, but just barely. I was finally able to get a better charger. But in the meantime, uh, every time I plugged in this charger for the computer, it absolutely obliterated the shortwave bands. You couldn't listen to anything. The thing was just that faulty, and it just made so much noise, and you're not supposed to do that. But um, one thing is just to also see, are there electronic devices that make uh, artificial noise? For instance, if I just got into shortwave radio, and I had no idea that these devices caused such interference, and I open this radio up, I'm trying it out, but I have this really, you know, terrible charger plugged in, and I'm charging my phone, so all I hear is loud static, and I can't pick out a single station from all the noise. I would think, oh, I live in an area with terrible reception, I can't listen to anything, I can't enjoy this. But if I simply found out, oh, wait a minute, if I unplug this charger and unplug this, oh, wow, now I can hear 40 stations, you know, it's not that bad. Reception here is better than I thought, so... One other thing, if you get bad reception, just take a look at the electronic devices around you and see if there's anything you can do about it if they cause um, noise. Now, some cause, in some uh, cases, I'm trying to say, they aren't, there's nothing you can do about it, you know? But sometimes it is a, a good solution. Okay. Going back to your email. I have a possible topic for conversation. You've said you enjoy conspiracy theories. Have you ever looked into the phantom time hypothesis? The TLDR version is that the Holy Roman Emperor, Otto III, and Pope Sylvester invented the entire Carolingian period from AD 614 to AD 911 in order for Otto's reign to begin in the year 1000 AD. There is spurious and tangential evidence at best for this hypothesis, and it has never been given any serious credence by legitimate historians. Still, it is a very interesting idea and demonstrates how little we really understand about what we imagine happened in our past. Yours from Aaron. Well, thank you, Aaron. So after I got your email, I went to research this a little bit, I've read about that before, and I thought it was really interesting and kind of, I don't know, creepy in a sense. After looking at it, I mean, it seems to me that it's unlikely that that actually um, happened, that I, I think that time kind of it played out as it did. Now, here were some of the arguments for and against it. Um, The basis of the hypothesis includes the... So I guess what what, what they're trying to say is that this whole period of, uh, you know, close to 300 years never actually happened 
and the dates on the calendar were essentially just changed to give some of the leaders, you know, the privilege of being able to rule over the year 1000 AD. Now, as unlikely as that is, I mean, obviously back then there were levels of corruption that were incredible. Uh, There always has been. Now, here is the case for this. Uh, Point one, the scarcity of archaeological evidence that can be reliably dated to the period AD 614-911, to uh, the perceived inadequacies of radiometric and other methods of dating this period, and the over-reliance of medieval historians on written sources. Uh, also point two, the presence of Romanesque architecture in 10th century Western Europe, suggesting the Roman era was not as long ago as conventionally thought. And finally, and this one is a little confusing, but they say the relation between the Julian calendar, Gregorian calendar, and underlying astronomical solar or tropical year. It says the Julian calendar, introduced by Julius Caesar, was long known to introduce a discrepancy from the tropical year of around one day for each century that the calendar was in use. By the time the Gregorian calendar was introduced in A.D. 1582, it is alleged that the old Julian calendar should have produced a discrepancy of 13 days between it and the real or tropical calendar. Instead, the astronomers and mathematicians working for Pope Gregory XIII had found that the civil calendar needed to be adjusted by only 10 days. From this, it concludes uh, that the A.D. era had counted roughly three centuries which never existed. So what that's essentially saying is that I guess there is this discrepancy between these two calendars. Um, The Julian calendar added an extra day for every century that it was in use, because I suppose they say that it was used for 1,300 years that should have 13 extra days. Um, But when they did the math, there were only 10 extra days, so what happened to the other three? 300 years missing. Now, the counter-arguments, however, says one of the most uh, difficult challenges to the theory is through observations in ancient astronomy, especially those of solar eclipses cited by European sources prior to 600 AD, uh, when phantom time would have distorted the chronology. Besides, several others that are perhaps too vague to disprove the phantom time hypothesis, two in particular are dated with enough precision to disprove the hypothesis with a high degree of certainty. So it says that, you know, there's these solar events, um, solar eclipses that obviously they say happened on these dates, and, (laughs) you know, the phantom time, it would have been distorted otherwise. Uh, Another point, archaeological remains and dating methods such as dendrochronology refute rather than support phantom time. There's a third point that again kind of talks about the three missing centuries that just... That one is a bit confusing, but it says it had to do something with the determining of the date for Easter Sunday and that it's just a misconception. And uh, it also says that uh, if Charlemagne and the Carolingian dynasty were fabricated, 
there would have to be a corresponding fabrication of the history of the rest of Europe, including Anglo-Saxon England, the Papacy, the Byzantine Empire. Uh, The Phantom Time period also encompasses the life of Muhammad and the Islamic expansion into the areas of the former Roman Empire, including the conquest of Visigothic Iberia. This history would also have to be forged and dramatically uh, or drastically misdated, and it would have to be reconciled with the history of the Tang Dynasty of China and its contact with Islam, such as the Battle of Talas. So, it pretty much says, there's just too much to change um, that would have had to have been changed elsewhere, and that's just very unlikely. Now, the reason why I went on about all this is because it sounds interesting, and I just I wanted to get into the technicalities of it. Looking at it this way, I would say that that period really did happen. Um, I think that it did. I think there's just too much that would have had to have been changed. Uh, and as well, looking at some of the, the solar events, I think that kind of vouches for that as well, um, plus some of the other events that happened around the world and other cultures and areas that kind of corroborate that. So I think uh, that really did happen. Now, here's one other thing, though, that does make you think. Forgetting that specific era and the fact that in this instance it's likely just a theory, there's one saying that I agree with. Um, I think there's truth to it, but a lot of people don't like it, but I think it is true in many ways. Uh, History is written by the victor. And I think in many cases, a lot of historical events are reported with Uh, at least, you know, pretty good degrees of impartiality and uh, fairness. Um, But who knows? I mean, especially going back a ways, if certain things were twisted to give a certain bias and uh, a certain idea that this is how it was when really it was something different. So that's one thing. History is not always free from bias. I mean, they try their best, but, you know, it's there's truth to it. Things certainly do have a slant in some cases. So that's the creepiest thing about it. I mean, in some cases, I think, like, the only way to really have ever known what actually happened is to is to be there yourself and witness it. And at least as far as we're concerned, we don't have a time machine. So we just have to kind of, we have to go off of what we've got. But uh, it is interesting, and it's kind of creepy to think, like, what if all these centuries never actually happened? And, you know, we're none the wiser. We, we think they happened, they really didn't, and our entire history, in some cases, is just skewed. Isn't it? It's interesting. Very, very interesting. Thank you, uh, Aaron, for a good email. Okay, we have more uh, feedback coming in now. This email comes in from an anonymous listener. Hey, Review Bra, I hope you're doing well. The world's a little crazy right now, so I hope you and the Report of the Week family are holding on strong. I'm a big fan. Haven't really done this before, so please don't be too harsh on me, but I wanted to ask for your help and perhaps some advice. These past few years have been really hard to get through, and another hard one this year, and I've lost my passion for life. 
And now I'm just trying to survive. I just go through my motions day in, day out at work and at home like a zombie. I've lost all interest in doing anything productive or for fun. I hate everyone and don't do anything anymore. I don't know what I even like anymore. Review Bra is someone like yourself who has seen much success and has a great passion for being a creator. I ask you, how do I revive my passion for life? What do I do to get myself out of this deep hole? Thank you very much. Now, thank you for your question. This is a serious situation. And I personally think it would be irresponsible of me to answer it in a way saying, uh, I did this, so you do that, and it'll work for you. I mean... My personal recommendation, and again, this might not work for you, but it's truly, as I was reading your email, it's just what came to me. I would recommend, if you have the ability to do so, because I just feel like this is a situation that I can offer some little advice, and I will do so, but it feels irresponsible to try to, you know, label that as the solution, and I think it's something that is essentially out of my hands. Uh, personally, I would recommend getting in touch if, again, you are able to do so uh, with maybe a psychiatrist, a counselor, someone to talk to, um, because there are many things, of course, that, you know, this lack of, of motivation, lack of, of drive, um, really kind of despondent, uh, you know, view can be tied to. And in some cases, having a discussion with the psychiatrist, I mean, it can really help. I know a lot of these psychiatric things can be iffy. Sometimes they do a lot of good, sometimes they don't. But believe me, I say from experience, there have been instances where you can take some things and it will, it will change everything. And you never would have guessed it. But, you know, certain things for anxieties or whatever. You know, even again, going into these cases, depression, lack of motivation, they can really help. But the unfortunate thing about all of that is that it can be... It can be something where it's like you have to just... You have to try different things sometimes. But please, I would recommend reaching out to, uh, you know, someone far more qualified than I am for uh, professional assistance. I want to see you get better. And uh, I just feel like that's the best thing to do. A few other things aside from that, and I think that's most important to do because I found myself uh, in some some dark places. Uh, you know, see, is there anyone, I mean, anyone in your life that you feel like you can reach out to, you know? Is there anyone, any family members, any acquaintances, any friends, anyone that you know that you feel you can communicate with, sincerely open up and, you know, just share what's troubling you with? Sometimes those conversations, along with other things, can really help. And that's why I also recommended perhaps a counselor or a therapist or someone that you can discuss. And, you know, if it is not someone that you personally know, that is the next best thing to do. Sometimes getting things off your chest, just letting it out, believe me, it does a lot of good.
It's not an immediate solution, but it is one thing that does help. One other thing that I would recommend in the interim, you know, try different things to keep yourself occupied. Uh, It might not work, but you never know. You might find something new that is of interest to you. And finally, like I said, make sure you look look toward the future as well and try to have, you know, say, look, you never know what's going to happen. I was in some very, very, very dark places, you know, in 2013. And I didn't think there was going to be much of a future left for me, to tell you the truth. But, I mean, look what happened. Things did turn around. I thought there was no way they ever could. I thought this was going to be it. And that's that. But things turned around. Things got much, much better. But had you have asked me then, at those points, if I ever thought that would ever happen? Absolutely not. Not a chance in hell that would ever happen. But it did, so please... Just don't lose, don't lose sight of the future. You never know what is down the road for you. You never know. But I think aside from these menial things, most importantly, my recommendation is uh, please get in touch with, you know, a professional and, uh, you know, at at the very least reach out to a support network if you have one, Um, but otherwise get in contact with a professional. Just be honest, be open, just, you know, be brutally honest with them. Tell it like it is. It will help. It will help. Thank you for uh, your concerns, and I, I hope I hope things really do pick up for you. We have a short email coming in from Eric in Winter Park, Florida, a regular listener. He says, uh, hey, John, I'm drawing a blank here, and I can't remember if this has been asked before. Have you ever been contacted by the Joe Rogan Experience to do a podcast? I think it'd be a great choice for it, and I'm wondering if you are a listener of the JRE. And if so, what are your thoughts on it? From Eric in Winter Park, Florida. Thanks, Eric. Always good to hear from uh, some Central Florida listeners. Uh, No, I've never been contacted by Joe Rogan. I just don't think I'm big enough to uh, ever be be contacted for such a thing. Um, And I've never really listened to his show. I mean, of course I have in in bits and pieces, um, but I've never really listened. Like, for the entertainment value... I think some of the episodes when Alex Jones was on uh, Joe Rogan, I listened to some of those. But uh, aside from that, I, I don't think I ever did. So I can't um, I can't consider myself a listener, though I, I am familiar with the basics of the broadcast, but I know I would remember if I was ever extended formally an invitation for that program, which I know I never was. But thank you for uh, for checking in. Mostly I listen to more traditional broadcasts and uh, radio programs and stuff, but you know those podcasts, like he's big, he's one of the biggest out there. And Joe Rogan, I know, I remember him first all the uh, years back when he did the, um, when he was a commentator and hosted uh, Fear Factor, I remember that, but now he's big, you know, with the podcast and uh, it's just interesting, but uh, now I'm... I'm afraid I haven't. Next email comes in from Victoria, who writes, Over the summer, I discovered your YouTube channel, and I loved all of the videos. I recently discovered your podcast, and I love it too. In the last episode you filmed, you discussed the Polar Express, and it led me to wonder 
If you watch a lot of TV and movies, and if so, what is your favorite movie? Keep up the good content. Thanks from, from Victoria. Thank you for your question. Uh, no, I'm not a big movie watcher. And I am not even a big TV watcher. Because I do these broadcasts in, you know, an interval of several weeks in between each airing, I haven't... It's interesting. I haven't been watching as much television as I have in uh, in the past. Even just a few months ago. Or weeks, even. I think it's been like probably a week or so since I even turned the television on. I mean, that like, I just leave it... I leave it unplugged when I'm not watching. I don't know. It's something better. I just like unplugging it from the wall. And the last time I plugged it in was probably a week, week and a half ago, because I don't know, I just have... I have no desire to really watch anything at this moment. Uh, when I do, I watch... NHK, World of Japan, some of the local news, and I also watch a lot of the um, legal um, slash crime uh, slash law enforcement programs, Yeah, so I enjoy doing those. But lately, uh, I just haven't really been watching much of anything, you know, movies included. I haven't really been doing that, but I've been... Uh, just watching some... I've been watching YouTube a lot. Not YouTubers, though, just videos on the site. I don't really follow any YouTubers either. I know it's strange. But I was... Before I started recording this, I was making my way also through a YouTube video that I guess I'm 16 minutes through, um, out of 40 minutes in total. And uh, it's interesting, it's just one of those police videos, it's called Newton County Chief Deputy Arrested by Arkansas State Police. And it was, uh, I think, from 2019, I guess the, the chief deputy, I guess he's kind of like the sheriff. For one county in Arkansas, he was driving drunk, was swerving all over the road. So, uh, you know, the state police officer saw him driving terribly, pulled him over, and said, hey, you know, I know you might be uh, the sheriff, but the law is the law. I mean, we got to uphold it. And, uh, I mean, that was that. That put an end to that. And he, uh, and I think he had to go to jail and uh, big fine also. So it was interesting. But otherwise, I just listen to a lot of music now and uh, listen to the radio too. All right. We have a few final emails to uh, get to. We have an email coming in from Mark, checking in from the central coast of California. I was thinking about Christmas gifts for dads, and I remember getting a Tabasco necktie for my dad multiple years in the 1990s. It was a big deal in central Texas, where I grew up. I asked my wife, who was from Mississippi, and she purchased at least one for her dad in the 90s. I'm not sure why they were such a big deal. We didn't consume an excessive amount of Tabasco sauce in my house growing up. Have you ever heard of these, and would you be willing to incorporate them into your wardrobe? I would be thrilled to receive a Tabasco necktie this year from my daughter. Many thanks for your time from Mark. Well, thank you, Mark. Now, 
I have never heard of the Tabasco necktie. However, I would be willing to bet that that has to do mostly with the fact that I, I grew up and spent a lot of my time in New York, where Tabasco sauce is consumed, um, but definitely not anywhere near the extent, I think, as it is uh, down in Texas. Um, so that's probably why. But I'm looking right now, Tabasco neckties. Those are a very real thing. Uh, they definitely were a bit of a, a fad, I suppose you'd say. And uh, to tell you the truth, would I wear one? Yeah, I would. I, I actually would. Um, I don't even really use Tabasco sauce very much. I mean, I do, of course, have a bottle of it. And uh, I will break it out from time to time. But I most definitely would. Uh, looking at the... Now, as long as it's a 90s Tabasco necktie... A lot of them, I think people find them tacky, but, you know, the, the necktie, it seems like it's wider, and the designs, albeit silly, are appealing to me. So yeah, I, I definitely, if I had a 90s Tabasco necktie, if I found one at, let's say, a thrift store or something, I think for the heck of it, I would probably get it and uh, break it out from time to time. I mean, if I have a Christmas necktie with a bunch of cats on it, uh, then, you know, a Tabasco necktie isn't all that much. So, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. I guess it still lives on, but uh, it's very interesting that you pointed that out. Thank you, Mark, for uh, checking in. Now we have an email coming in from Jarrell in Seattle, Washington. I had a question for you and your viewers. What are your thoughts on the Men in Black? No, not the movie series. If you're not familiar with who or what they are, do some quick research. They're very, very creepy and interesting as all hell. So, uh, thank you for your question. Yeah, the men in black. Uh, of course, I, I believe that's what the uh, the movie series, of course, taken to a very comical um, level, men in black was based off of, of course. And what the men in black are, I'm sure we, I'm sure most of us know this. Um, the Men in Black, it's, you know, at least the conspiracy that uh, there are men dressed in black suits who claim to be government agents who harass or threaten UFO witnesses to keep them quiet about what they have seen. So, you know, do Men in Black, and I'll just look up pictures, because there's one picture that I always see that's like always used to say that this is, you know, the smoking gun evidence that men in black uh, are real. And I think there's this one, you have this still image that is taken from a security camera that says, and I forget what year they were that this was taken. I think this is from like, I would wager the early or, or mid uh, 2000s. And it's a still image of these two men, very well-dressed. I have to give them credit. If the men in black are real, um, I like it. They got to keep dressing as they do. Uh, walking into this uh, building, I guess, that people claim that they came in to intimidate someone or whatever. But boy, they look good. They got black suits, um, over overcoat, and uh, fedora hats as well. Very, very nicely dressed, I will say. And they claim that those are the, the men in black. 
I think that there are definitely government agencies out there that do keep tabs on things. And we'll have, I'm sure, conversations. The nature of those conversations, you know, that probably depends on the situation. But it would make sense to me if someone witnesses something that, let's say, they're not supposed to, um, you know, or not very many people see. In some instances, there might be someone from the government who will come and uh, keep tabs on them. And, you know, just verify their information, see what what they have, what they know, what they don't know, evidence-wise, etc. Uh, that makes sense to me. I mean, that makes total perfect sense, of course. I mean, if you are going to, to run a government um, and these things do exist, then it would only make sense to have an organization out there that, again, would kind of or at least a sect or a portion of an established organization, maybe, maybe that would uh, see to these sorts of things. So uh, that doesn't surprise me one single bit. I think at least the men in black to a degree. This is where you get the, the divide between fiction and fact. But I would be willing to bet that certain aspects of the men in black absolutely are real and are employed and exist to this very day. I mean, same type of situation when you see with either um, UFOs, uh, extraterrestrials, or other cryptids when you see, you know, federal involvement in certain situations. But I mean, it's like, yeah, the premise of that makes perfect sense, and I think that such organizations, I'm sure, do exist and are out there. But is it necessarily as, as you know... Um, flagrant as saying, oh, we are, oh, you know, yeah, you know, you pull out a badge, I'm, I'm the men in black, you know, it's as realistic as someone going to your door and, and saying they're with the CIA or something, you know, that stuff just doesn't happen. But it's very, very interesting. Thanks again for writing in. Finally, we hear from Alexandra in Calgary, Canada, who uh, I know is an online and shortwave listener. Um, you're right. I was listening to your most recent podcast, and I must say, your discussion about the Polar Express really caught me off guard, and I burst out laughing at many points as it was just so funny. Hearing those interesting details really brought me back to when I watched it as a child, and how I perceived it at the time. In elementary school, when I was about six or seven, Unfortunately, they decided that watching the movie on the last school day before Christmas break was the best way to really kick things off. What a treat. But really, every year that we were subjected to watching that film in school, I always found the logistics of it so puzzling and creepy, and honestly, it kind of kept me up some nights. I'd lay awake in bed, uh, tense, thinking all the what-ifs uh, of how some strange men and and a train would come in the middle of the night and whisk me away to drink hot chocolate with other children and make us meet Santa Claus. The idea of that, and basically the entire premise of the movie, was extremely terrifying to me, in the fact that it was basically mass child abduction disguised as a magical adventure. Around the holidays, I'd even have some bad dreams where the beginning scene of the film would appear as a way to spook me. I find it funny how many films made for children are just so bizarre. 
mostly to adults, I guess, but even as children, some of these things were just plain weird and not that enjoyable. Of course, watching the Polar Express is just another blip in the timeline of my existence, but it left such a uh, odd impression. I would say some other children's films that had the same effect on me were Coraline and Happy Feet. I'd be interested in hearing if you had any other odd reflections or assessments of other films, as it was so amusing to think about. Thanks from Alexandra in Calgary. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you for your kind words. I'm glad you enjoyed that segment. And, oh, there are, there are others. There, there most certainly are. The whole thing is that you just have to get, and at least this is how it is for me, you have to get in a certain frame of mind where it's like, I am going to intentionally have a microscope over this scene and I'm going to look at it kind of at face value. You know, not... This is saying I'm going to look at it forgetting all of the so-called magic of the children's film. And we're going to see it for what it really is. I can do that with a lot of films. The problem is, I just have to get in that mindset. Like, with the Polar Express thing, I decided just then and there, okay, this is silly, but I'm going to talk about it. I did not intend to go out of my way and discuss for 40 minutes the film. It just kind of happened. But I could do that with more. I, I, could, I could, and I probably will. It'll just be a fun little segment at some point. One of those things that comes naturally, but it'll, um... It'll be good. The thing is, is that I'm not the world's biggest moviegoer. And a lot of the films that I watch, I try to vet beforehand. And, you know, I don't want to waste my time on something that's just an utter piece of garbage. But, you know, if I want to one day, I know one easy thing that I could do without even any personal expense is, um, you know, I think I talked about this in the last show, but even if I just stay on YouTube... Go to the YouTube Movies tab and watch the, uh, you know, the free-to-watch films. There's going to be some real uh, iffy stuff in there, let me just say that. See, the free-to-watch tab on YouTube is always, it's a mixed bag. You get some really good stuff and some really bad stuff all mixed together in in just one thing. Like, that's why I was shocked, and I'm looking at it right now, that's why I was shocked when I saw that the King's speech was in the free-to-watch tab. I was shocked. I thought to myself, this is a legitimately good movie. Um, what is it doing here, (laughs) you know? It's, uh, it's crazy. Same thing, even the movie Legally Blonde and uh, Legally Blonde 2, those were there too. And uh, I watched them both because they were legit films. It's not usually the stuff that I'll watch. This was a year or two ago, but I did, and it was all right. Um, this is how I had the pleasure of watching Missing 411, uh, which I recommend to anyone. Go, go watch it if you want. It's about strange disappearances in the national parks. And I would even advise paying a couple bucks. Watch the next part of Missing 411. It's another good one. 
but then you know you can you can watch stuff and you'll just find this trash like uh, there's one film on there that I'll maybe I'll talk about one day it's called Goodbye World and that thing is just I left a comment on it a year ago and the comment on it seven months ago because it's that awful the first comment and this pretty much sums it all up this was just terrible really really bad and I also said I had higher hopes for this one it's this was a, it was a terrible film it was god-awful I wouldn't recommend it to anyone unless you want to waste an hour 40 minutes of your life um, it was really it had you know what pisses me off about this stuff it's a strong but you know it's true is when you have a good premise that like you can do so much with and you just ruin it and put this just absolutely dreadful um, plot it's terrible same thing like all right goodbye world this was supposed to be about a group of old uh, college friends who were going I guess to a remote country home to uh, you know just reunite and uh, see what's going on and as they are there like similar let's say an EMP type attack happens I think in this case it's like a cyber attack but just think of it like an EMP where it just cripples all electronic devices and suddenly cripples civilization and it's this group of friends they're stranded there you know, wow, wouldn't that have potential? They have to navigate in this pandemonium. They have to deal with a world that's so dependent on technology now suffering from, you know, like an EMP attack. Isn't there so much you can do with it? And you know what they did? They did nothing. The entire film, the EMP happens. They barely even leave this cabin and they all sit around in a circle and talk for the whole film and that's it. No one does anything nothing happens that's it a really good plot that was just absolutely wasted another film and this one i have to be careful to criticize because the filmmaker um apparently goes uh after people who criticize it all i'll say is there's a film out there called discovering bigfoot <laughs> you know watch it and you'll see for yourself that's it that's all I'll say. Watch it. You'll see for yourself. Let it. Let the film speak for itself. That's all. That's all. But, you know, the thing is, I just don't want to go off and, you know, just because it's kind of fun, I don't want to sit there and just bully and, and pick on films that don't deserve it. It's just if there's something that is legitimately dreadful, you know, maybe in, in another day we'll kind of scrutinize it, but at least in, you know, lighthearted ways. So thank you for your email, thank you for your suggestion, and with that, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone who's listening in and has made it this far in the broadcast, thank you. Thank you for your time. It's a pleasure that you were able to spend it here at VORW Radio International. Remember, if you're in Europe, the new uh, times to listen in on the shortwave, and uh, make sure you tune in to the next show. Any feedback, again, is welcome at VORW info at gmail.com and please consider supporting this broadcast with a donation of any size and shape via paypal to v-o-r-w i-n-f-o at gmail.com if you enjoyed the show want to hear more of it 
Until next time, be safe, be healthy wherever you are, and uh, just stay strong through these crazy times. That's all. Take care.